0: You're listening to the Seabreeze Church Podcast. I really don't know where to start, honestly. Um, Like Ethan said, my name's Elliot. What's interesting in um, those clips, I think one of the reasons they're so funny is because there's a lot of confusion around this topic of baptism and what it means and does it save you and is there something magical going on? In the um, Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? clip, the first one, Delmar is told that something happened when he went under the water. He's he's told that he's saved. Is he saved? I mean, is that really? I mean, it's like, you know, in order for Jesus to forgive sins and give eternal life, is that it? You just kind of walk in the water, go under, and suddenly, boom. You know, everything's washed clean. Suddenly you have eternal life. Is that really what's going on? In the uh, other clip, the one from Nacho Libre, um, El Skeleton, the wrestler, he... um, he doesn't even want to get baptized. You know, at least, at least Delmar wanted to get baptized. He saw everybody else doing it, and he said, I want to get baptized. And the other one, he, he didn't want to get baptized. He didn't even believe in it. But magically, I mean, he, you know, his, his head goes under the water right there, and all of a sudden, they're going to be blessed, and they're going to have success in their wrestling matches, and it's all going to work out. Is that really how it works? Is it, is it magical? Is it the thing that saves you? Or is there something else going on? Actually, again, in these uh, in these two clips, they, uh, they actually give us two reasons why you should not be baptized. The first one is if you're following blindly. If you haven't thought it through and you don't really understand the decision that you're making, you shouldn't be baptized. And the second one is you shouldn't be baptized because somebody else wants you to. It needs to be your decision, not somebody else's decision. So they actually give us two reasons why you shouldn't be baptized. So today, what we're going to do with our time We're going to unpack this topic of baptism so that we can understand it, so that you can decide for yourself whether or not you're going to get baptized. And we're going to start with a passage where Jesus commands baptism, because baptism is commanded in the Bible. It says this in uh, Matthew chapter 28. It's a passage where Jesus has already gone to the cross. He's risen from the grave. He's getting ready to go back up to heaven. He gets his followers together. He kind of gives them some final marching orders. He says this in Matthew 28, starting in verse 9, Therefore go and make disciples, disciples or followers, disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. What Jesus is doing here is he's revealing that he wants three things. He wants followers who are baptized who obey. Followers, again, That's a disciple is a follower. He wants followers who are baptized who, who obey. He wants individuals who make mature, informed decisions to follow him. Then, as an act of obedience, they're baptized, and then they spend the rest of their life figuring out how to obey, how to take him seriously and do the things that he instructs. And the the order here is not random. Actually, if if you study this topic and you go through the rest of the New Testament, what you find is you find this order repeated over and over and over again. An individual makes a decision, that decision is followed by the act of baptism, and then the rest of their life is figuring out how to obey, how to take him seriously. So in order to understand baptism, instead of just focusing on the baptism, you actually need to go back and you need to start with the decision to follow. You need to have a really firm grasp on that decision to follow, which then informs you of what baptism is. So that's what we're gonna do this morning. We're gonna start with a decision to follow, and then we're gonna dive into baptism and why Jesus commanded it and what it represents. But let's start with the decision to follow. As you read through the New Testament, the, um, the four biographies about Jesus's life, the New Testament is kind of the half of the Bible that deals with Jesus's, Jesus coming and deals with the starting of the church. And the first four books are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four biographies about Jesus's life. If you sit down and you read those, you'll notice a desire on Jesus's part for people to understand what they're getting themselves into. He wants people to really be informed about these decisions that they're making. When it comes to inviting people to follow him, he does not take a used car salesman approach. He's not he doesn't take this approach of hurry quick, put your name on the dotted line, you know, sign the papers. I'm only going to present the good stuff to you, you know, don't look at that over there, you know, just look at the positives. Only think about the positives and sign it quick and let's get it over with. He doesn't take that approach. In fact, he he, in some situations, he goes out of his way to really challenge people to make sure that they understand. I mean, sometimes it's like, well, let's just talk about the, the positives. Let's, let's ignore the, the perceived negatives. And there are a ton of positives, and Jesus teaches on those. But he also, some situations, he says, hey, you need to sit down and you need to count the cost. I mean, as you read through it, you might even be surprised and walk away asking the question, doesn't Jesus want more followers Why why does it seem like he keeps challenging them to sit down and think it through before they make the decision? And the reason that Jesus takes this approach is because he knows the most important decision anyone can make is the decision to follow him. And he also knows that that decision is not just a one-time decision, but it's it's a decision that's reaffirmed over and over and over again. It's a lifelong decision. It's a decision that if an individual makes it, it's going to change every area of their life. It's going to shape their experience for the rest of their life. It's going to determine the destination of their eternity. And so Jesus, he makes it really clear. Hey, I want you to understand what you're getting yourself into. He gives, he gives them the space to investigate and then decide for themselves. It's not this, this quick-use car salesman approach. And for us, a, a really helpful way to remember what's involved in the decision to follow can be summarized with the ABCs, admit, believe, commit, the ABCs of making the decision to follow Jesus. So I want to walk through these, um, kind of explain them to you so we can better understand when when a person decides to follow Jesus, what is it that they're saying and what is it that they're deciding to do? So the A, the first one, A is admit your sin. This is the beginning point for deciding to follow Jesus, admit your sin. Now we all know that there's sin out in the world. And usually we think of it in terms of well there's sin out there. I mean we you know you turn on the news, you go on the internet and you know it's pretty you know pretty quickly you can find examples of sin, bad stuff, evil, wrong, whatever you want to call it. So we know it's out there. We also we know that we've done some stuff that we shouldn't have done. We're we all have done things that we're not proud of. We've done things that we hope that nobody finds out about. So we know that there's some stuff that we've done. But usually when it comes to the topic of sin, usually we, th- we think of it in terms of a scale. You know, there's good things and there's bad things. And if, you know, if we do more good things than bad things, then the good outweighs the bad and well, we're, we're okay. We're good. We're in good standing because we've done more good than bad, so it outweighs it. But if, you know, if we know, okay, well, I've done some bad things, so okay, I need to step my good game up you know, and tip the scale back in the favor, and you know, that's what I need to do when it comes to sin. The problem is sin is not on a scale. Sin is more like a toxin. A toxin is something that's it's poisonous. It's something that can kill us. It's toxic. It only takes a small amount of a toxin to get inside of us to start to kill us from the inside out. That's what sin is like. Sin is like a toxin. I mean, just let's take mercury, for instance. We all know that mercury is poisonous, and it's in some of the foods that we eat. And so when it's in fish and other stuff that we eat, the Food and Drug Administration, when they talk about the levels of the toxin that are safe for us to consume, the, the measurement they speak in is parts per million. They're saying that it's just a very, very small amount They can be harmful. So you got to be careful with this stuff because it's a toxin. Parts per million, very, very small amount can cause a lot of damage. But what about the toxin of sin? How much of that is deadly? It says this in Romans chapter 5, verse 16. It says, the judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. It's saying that the limit or the standard is one. It only takes one sin to corrupt a life. It only takes one sin to bring death. And I don't know about you, but my sin count is way above one. <laughs> I've sinned way more than one time. And I know it. I mean, I, I, I've, I've, I've gotten angry, and not only have I thought angry thoughts, but then I've, I've acted in anger. Or I've, you know, my thoughts and my attitudes, you know, they'll, be, they'll be lustful or selfish, or I'll view another person as less significant than me, and I could justify treating them a certain way. So I know it's, it's not just the actions, but there's also there's attitudes and there's thoughts that I have. And when it comes to those attitudes and those thoughts, usually what we think is, we think, well, those don't really count against us because they're on the inside, right? I mean, it's, you know, as long as we can kind of keep it bottled up and keep it inside, then it shouldn't count against us. But you know, Jesus actually takes a very different approach. He, he says this in Matthew chapter 5. He's giving a message referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. He says this to a group of people. He says, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you should not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. So he's pointing to... The sin of murder. I mean, we can all nod our head and agree, yeah, murder sin. You shouldn't sin. You shouldn't do that. Even, I mean, we even say stuff like, I haven't killed anybody. I'm not that bad. So we know this is wrong. So he gets everybody nodding, and then he says this. He says, but I tell you, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. I mean, I had two sisters and a brother. I've been angry at them a lot. I I get this. I mean, but he he takes it from, he says, no, it's not actually the the external thing. Yeah, that's important. Don't do that. He says, actually, the real issue is what's going on inside of you. A, A few verses later, he expands on this again. He says this in verses 27 and 28. He says, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Again, most people are gonna nod their head. Yes, cheating on your spouse is wrong. You shouldn't do it. Most people are gonna nod their head. But then he goes even further. He says, but I tell you, that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He points to the heart. He says, hey, it's not just the things that you act on, but it's, it's the attitudes and the thoughts that are going on inside of your heart. See, sin is it's like a toxin inside of our hearts. And it's not just the visible actions or behaviors, it's also the things that we choose to think about, the attitudes we choose to dwell on. And if you're gonna follow Jesus, it involves admitting your sin. Now the B. The B is believe Jesus can save. You know, Thankfully, the Bible doesn't just tell us that we're sinners, because that, let's face it, being told you're a sinner, that's bad news. There's probably some of you here today that are like, oh man, I was really hoping that he wouldn't talk about sin today. It's bad news. Nobody wants to hear this stuff, to hear that you're a sinner. But if you think about it, who delivers the bad news changes the way that you view that news. You know, if God, if God just shows up to tell us that we're sinners because he hates us and he's more powerful than us and he can use our sin as a reason to just get rid of us and destroy us, okay, well then that's really bad news. But if God's more like a surgeon with the skill and the ability to go in and remove what's harmful and he gives us an accurate diagnosis and says, hey, here's, this is the exact problem that's going on. And by the way, I have the skill and the ability to address that and I'll volunteer to be the one to go in and take care of this. Well, suddenly what originally was bad news, us being told that we're sinners, suddenly becomes, well, this is good news. Because now that problem can be addressed. Now that problem can be solved. See, what we need is we need something to get the sin out. More specifically, we need somebody to purify us. If it only takes one sin to kill us, than to, to bring death on the inside, then we need a perfect life, somebody who has never sinned, to absorb the toxins of our sin. And this is what Jesus did. Jesus came to earth and we're told that he lived a sinless and perfect life. And what that means is, is everything that he did, he was, he was perfectly loving, he was perfectly selfless, he perfectly honored God, he, he always put others first. I mean, he, he lived life in a way that was shocking and people struggled with because it was exactly the way that God wanted it to be lived. He lived this perfect life, and his perfect life, just like, just like if, if, if you've got a contamination on a table and you want to clean the contamination, you can't take a sponge that's dirty and contaminated to clean that off. It has to be a clean sponge to wipe off what's dirty. Jesus's perfect life is the only thing that can absorb the effects of our sin. But then if Jesus is just an average man, like an average man like me, well, then you can only do one perfect life for one sinful life. But Jesus isn't just a normal person. He's also divine. He's God in flesh. God came to earth and took on a body, which means then he can absorb all the effects of sin by all of us. And this is actually what we see when Jesus goes to the cross. When he goes to the cross and he's hanging there, what he's doing is he is taking all the He's, he's taking sin's best shot. All the toxic effects of sin, all the power that sin has is being thrown at Jesus in that moment, and he absorbs it all. And then he proves that he's more powerful than the effects of sin by coming back to life, by proving that his powerful power is more powerful than the effects of sin. And then when he comes back to life, what he does is he then turns to us and he says, hey, see, I can purify. See, I can save, and I can't just say, it's not just one person, I can save everybody. So then he extends to all of us the invitation to be purified, for our sins to be forgiven, for us to be made new on the inside. This is what Jesus does. The decision to follow Jesus involves coming to to the conclusion that his death really can purify us from sin. We ask him to do that, and then we believe that he does. So we admit, we believe, and then the see... The C is commit to follow Jesus. This uh, this past week, I um, went through all the different insurance policies that I have, and I added them all up. And uh, our family, between us, we have eleven separate insurance policies: from life insurance. My wife and I both have life insurance. Then we've got medical, we've got dental, we've got auto insurance, renter's insurance. I mean, on and on down the list. Eleven separate insurance policies, and with all these insurance policies. I hope that I never have to use any of them. Now, I, I did not buy any of these insurance policies wanting to use them. They're all just in case. And actually, all these insurance policies, they really don't, they don't impact my life in a lot of ways. They don't impact my decisions. I mean, they, they do cost me a little bit of money, but it's all automated payments. So you know, it feels painless because you know, I don't have to write the check or you know, send anything in the mail. It just goes straight out of my bank account. So it, it, it costs me a little something, but you know, it's, it's negligible. And it doesn't impact my decisions. I just kind of sign the paperwork, get my insurance policy, and then can move on with my life. And sometimes we think that believing Jesus is like an insurance policy, uh, a hell insurance policy. You know, if you believe in Jesus, okay, well that that'll keep you out of hell. Is how we think about it. All I have to do is if I admit my sin and then I believe, I'm good. I mean, I just I write my name on the dotted line, you know. You know, Make my payment, get my insurance card, and then just in case this stuff is real, well, I, I'll just pull that card out on the last day and be like, oh, you see, I, I'm good. I got my insurance policy. Problem is, Jesus isn't selling hell insurance policies. He's calling people to follow him. He's calling people to leave a life controlled by sin and discover a whole new approach to life, a whole new orientation on how to live and how to go through life. That's what he's calling us to. I mean, don't get me wrong; he does save us from hell. That's part of the deal. But then he says, "Okay, I'm going to purify you, not just so you can be f- pure, not just so you can be pure. I'm going to purify you and save you so that you can live a completely different kind of life, life the way that it was always intended to be lived. Real life. Actually, the Bible, when it talks about this life, it uses the term eternal life. It's something that." We get to start to experience now. You know, some people think, like, I I, I accept Jesus, nothing really changes, I don't have to change, I just go on with my life. You know, that eternal life stuff, well, that's after you die. Yeah, that's heaven. No, he says, actually, you get to learn how to do that right here and right now. It starts the day that you decide to follow him, and then it continues with him on into eternity. But all the benefits and the tastes of it, you get that here and now. That's what his priority is. He's not just out there peddling hell insurance. He's saying, hey, I'm calling you to follow me because I want to teach you a completely different approach to life. Look at what he says in the book of Luke, chapter 9, verse 23. He says this, "Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple, whoever wants to follow me, must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. What he's saying is, hey, if you want to get in on this new life, you have to say no to your normal approach and desires and you have to make the commitment to follow him. He is offering real life, but in order to accept that, you've gotta decide, oh, am I gonna follow him? Am I gonna to commit to follow Jesus? So the decision to become his follower, admit your sin, believe Jesus can save, commit to follow him, ABCs, pretty simple. Now, when you make the decision, that's our part. Our part is the ABCs, we make that decision. When you make the decision, there's something that God does, and this is also really important to understand. When we make the decision to follow him, he purifies us, and the Bible says he makes us new on the inside, and actually a transfer takes place, and the transfer is from the realm of death to the realm of life. This is something that goes on inside. We can't see this. This is something that goes on inside of a person. They're moved from the realm of death to the realm of life. Because of sin, we're contaminated, we're dead on the inside, but by purifying us, what Jesus does is he brings us back to life on the inside. And then in that moment, so he purifies us, we're moved from death to life. In that moment, the Holy Spirit, God himself, comes and lives inside of us. And what the Holy Spirit does is the Holy Spirit helps us discover how to live this new life. We're, on, we're not on our own to figure it out. We have the help of the Holy Spirit. Now, nobody is perfect at this. So if you think, oh, well, I can't follow Jesus until I'm perfect. Well, you'll never be perfect. Actually, you need to follow Jesus because you're not perfect. But then even when you follow Jesus, well, if I follow Jesus, will that make me perfect? No, you'll never be perfect. That's why you need the help of the Holy Spirit. If you could do this perfectly, you you wouldn't need the help of the Holy Spirit. But he gives us the Holy Spirit because we can't do this perfectly. None of us can. But when we have the Holy Spirit, when we continue to address sin in our lives, when we continue to trust in what Jesus has done and continue to follow him with the help of the Holy Spirit, we can make a lot of progress, a lot of stuff in our lives can change, and we can experience all the benefits of being one of his followers. So our part is admitting our sin, believing he can save, committing to follow. His part, he makes us new. He gives us the Holy Spirit. So that that brings us back to, okay, baptism. So now we understand the, the decision to follow. Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them to obey. Okay, so now we understand the decision to follow. But what about baptism? Why is it commanded? If 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 it's not what saves you, I mean, if, if you make the decision and that's what makes you right with God, that's what brings you alive on the inside, then why in the world does Jesus still command baptism? I want to explore this for a minute because Jesus, he's actually not the first one to talk about baptism or give instructions on baptism. And if you study other religions, you see that there are other religious ceremonies that they use water to symbolize something. So this isn't just unique to Jesus followers, Christ followers, or Christians. This is something that you see going on in other places as well. So then the question is, well, why why would Jesus do this? Well, what Jesus does when he gives instruction on baptism and he tells us to do it, he decided that baptism would be a unique symbol that marked those who had decided to enter into a relationship with him. It would be a unique symbol that pointed to something that's happened. And so two reasons why Jesus commands baptisms, and these are, these are really important. and They make a lot of sense in light of what we've already looked at in the decision to follow them. The first reason he commands it is baptism is a graphic symbol. It's a graphic symbol. Whenever we do baptisms here at Seabreeze, there are multiple parts of the ceremony that are symbolic of something that's already taken place. The, the English word baptism, it comes from a Greek word, baptizo. It means to dip, plunge, or to immerse in water. The idea... In, in Jesus' day, when the word was used, it was, it was referring to something going underwater and then coming back up out of the water. And it's a very specific word. It's not a random word. They didn't just choose this word at random. But they, they chose this word that means to immerse because the act of immersing is painting a very important picture that we need to understand. When a person gets baptized, so we have here at Seabreeze, we, we have a large pool The pool is big enough so a person can go completely underwater. When a person gets baptized, they go into the water. That's reflecting Christ's death. They go under the water, reflecting his burial. Then they come up out of the water, which represents Christ being resurrected. And at the same time, it also points to the fact that we've decided to follow him and we've been made new on the inside. This is what it says in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 6. Paul is writing to a group of people that have already made the decision to follow Jesus, and he's explaining to them what's happened. He says this. says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? He goes on. He says, we therefore were buried with him through baptism. He's saying that, okay, the going underwater, you're buried with Christ. Then he goes on. He says, we're buried with him through baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. It's, it's this very graphic image of buried with him in death, going under the water, and then the coming up out of the water represents this new life that we have in Christ. Another way that it's a graphic symbol is just like when a person goes under the water and they come up out of the water, their hair is messed up, their clothes are wet, you know, if they have makeup on, their makeup's running, whatever it is, they look very different on the outside. What that's painting a picture of is this immersive relationship. That they've already entered into with Jesus. Just like the water changes their physical appearance, when they enter into the relationship with Jesus through admitting, believing, and committing, he goes to work on the inside. And so that that act of going under the water and coming out is painting a picture on the inside of the person. There's no area of their life that Jesus isn't going to impact. There's no area of their life that's off limits to him bringing change to. So it's painting a picture. Not only have they, they died with Christ, they've been buried with him. That's already taken place. They've, just like Christ was resurrected, they're risen to new life, but now they're in a relationship with him, and over time, he's going to continue to change them. So it's painting a very vivid picture of something that's already happened. And this is important to understand because if a person, if a person hasn't admitted their sin, if they don't believe that Jesus can save, if they haven't committed to follow him, then this symbolism... Of baptism loses its meaning because it's not true of the individual. And if, they, if, they don't, if they haven't admitted their sin, if they haven't decided to follow him and then they get baptized, the baptism is significant because it points to what's already happened. But that, if that hasn't already happened, then the baptism loses its meaning. So it's a graphic symbol. Another thing that Jesus points to, another reason that he commands it, is because baptism is about going public. It's going public. You do it in front of a group of people. I mean, let's, let's face it. It's kind of awkward. I mean, sometimes when I talk to people about baptism and explain it to them, they're like, wait, so it's, there's like people watching? It's like, yeah. So people are watching me get dunked underwater. Yes, it's public. It's in front of people. And it's, it, it's awkward. It would be way more comfortable or convenient if you could just go home, fill up your bathtub, t- and call it a baptism. That's way easier. But that doesn't count. And the reason that doesn't count is because what we decide in private versus what we say we'll do in public there's a huge difference between those two. And Jesus knows that. I mean in, in private you can make all kinds of decisions in private, but then the circumstances change or it's not you know it doesn't you know it doesn't work with you anymore. Oh, well, you can you know you can back out of that because it was made in private. But when when you go public with something, I mean if you if you get in front of a group of people and you make some claim, well, suddenly there's accountability. People expect you to follow through. That decision that you made suddenly becomes more real and it has more weight. I mean, it's a big deal to get up publicly and say, I've decided to follow Jesus. So again, in our baptisms, one of the things that we do before the baptism, we have the individuals who are getting baptized, they briefly share why they're getting baptized. They'll say what was going on in their life, what led to the point where they decided to follow Jesus, What's changed in their life since then? They briefly share a story. Then when they get in the water, the pastor asks them two questions. He says, is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? Again, clarifying that they understand that decision. Then he says, is the Bible your guide for life? Clarifying that as they move forward and learn to obey Jesus, where they're going to get their instruction from is going to come from the Bible. Clarifying those things. So these individuals, before they're baptized, before this symbol that represents something very important, can publicly say, this is true of me. I know what I'm getting myself into. I understand the decision, and I have made the decision for myself. I have decided to follow Jesus, and I'm ready to obey him and go public with that decision. So it's a graphic symbol, and then it's also about going public. That's why Jesus commands us to get baptized. Now, for some of you here today, there are some of you who You've made the decision to follow Jesus, but you have not been baptized by immersion after making that decision. If that's you, my challenge to you is it's time. There's no reason to keep putting this off. If God is saying to you, I want you to do this because this marks the individuals who have already entered into a relationship with me, then don't delay that act of obedience to go public with that decision. So if that's you, follow through on this. We actually have a baptism coming up on July 11th. So Ethan talked about the app earlier. You can go into the app on the connection card. It says, contact me about baptism. You hit that button, one of us pastors will start a conversation with you, moving you towards taking that next step, that symbol that represents what God's already done in your life and your opportunity to go public with that. So if that's you, make that decision. Now, for, the, for others of you, you're on the fence on this. You've been debating, you know, I, this Jesus stuff, I don't know. I don't know if I really want to follow him. I don't know if I really believe in him. There's stuff that I like, but there's stuff that I don't like. If you're on the fence, I would really encourage you to get off the fence and make the commitment to go ahead and just say, I am a sinner, and I do believe that Jesus can purify me. And from now on, I am committing. I'm not going to do it perfectly, but I'm committing to follow him. I'm trusting Jesus to purify me, make me new on the inside, and for him to give me the Holy Spirit to walk with me. If you're on the fence, get off the fence. Take that seriously and decide to follow him. Actually, in just a minute when I pray, I would encourage you, these ABCs, go through those ABCs. In your own heart, this morning before God, say, God, I admit this. I admit what I've done. I believe in you that you can save me. And I'm committing my life to follow you. And just like with baptism, if you make that decision, again, on the connection card, contact me about following Jesus. We want to support you. You are not alone in that decision. We want to support you. We want to encourage you. We want to give you resources to help you get traction as you follow through with that decision. So let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the clarity that you give us in your word, the Bible on these important topics of how to follow you and what does baptism mean, you do not leave us in the dark. We don't need to just spin in confusion, but we really can get clarity on this. God, I thank you for the fact that through your word, you reveal to us that there is sin in our lives that we need to address. Ongoing sin in our lives, times that it's not just the actions, but there are times that in our thoughts and our attitudes, we choose what is wrong. I thank you that you don't leave us in the dark over what the problem is. But then I also thank you that you came with the solution. You volunteered. You raised your hand and said, I'll go and do the work so that they can be forgiven, so that they can be purified of their sin and be given new life. I thank you that you took the initiative in that. And then, God, then you call us to follow you for the rest of our lives committing to figuring out this new life that we've been given. I thank you for that as well. I thank you that we don't just have to sit and wait, but we can start to experience it and its blessings here and now. I thank you for that, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Seabreeze Church podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, seabreezechurch.com. Thanks again for listening in, and we hope you'll join us next week for the Seabreeze Church Podcast.